שלום עליכם, שבוע טוב, חודש טוב מבורך to all of you, listeners of this great station, a station of דברי תורה, דברי מוסר, דברי הלכה, religious music. This is Rabbi Elbaz from SLC, and today I'm going to discuss the part of the parasha that we uh, read yesterday. I'm going to concentrate on the materials that were used for the Mishkan. And it's the parasha starts by the Bera Shem and Moshe Lemor. It tells him, go ahead, tell the Bnei Israel that they should take out, they should give contributions for the Mishkan. And then the Torah lists the materials that were supposed to be in the Mishkan. And when you count them one by one, you will find that there were 15 of them. 15. Yet, Rashi says like this, Shlosha asar devarim ha'amurim be'inyan. Thirteen, he says, there are thirteen items that are here. And these thirteen items were for the construction of the Mishkan. And he adds the words, Keshitidagdik bahem. If you examine these uh, materials carefully, you'll find there's only thirteen and not fifteen. First of all, Agadosh Baruch Hu could have, uh, by miracle, created all of them. If Agadosh Baruch Hu He can create the whole world, obviously he can create these materials. But Hashem wanted that the Bnei Israel themselves contribute in order to give them the zechut of building the Mishkan. The Mishkan, as Rashi says, is supposed to be atoning for the sin of the Egel. The Egel has Zahav. And the Egel has Zahav. Somehow they ignored HaKadosh Baruch Hu. This, where HaKadosh Baruch Hu comes into the Mishkan itself, the Shekhinah is there. This is in order to atone for the, uh, the fact that they had the Egel HaZahav. And Hashem wanted that everyone should participate. You know, they tell about, uh, uh, I heard once a story about the Chafetz Chaim when he was building his yeshiva. A uh, wealthy man came over to him and said, you know what? Forget about even going and making any appeals. I'll foot the whole bill for the entire yeshiva. Obviously, someone today would come and Give us contribution, one whole sum for the entire building. Hey, that's great. But the Chafetz Chaim said to him, No, I would like first to go ahead and try to give a zechut for each Baal, uh, uh, each Baal around here. All these people, I want them first. They have a little part of the yeshiva. And then you can contribute the rest. But... He wanted to give the zechut uh, over here also. Hashem wanted to give a zechut to everyone. But now, how do we understand the fact that Rashi says it's 13? Now, we know one thing. When Rashi Shalom says it's 13, it must be so. 
whatever Rashi says is Kadosh. That means that there are two items that should not be counted. Question is, which two items should not be should not be in in the uh, in the Hashbon? Which ones? So different mefarshim, they say different opinions. The Siftei Hachamim, he brings three different opinions. He says the following. He says, you know. We have there's three kinds of wools that are part of the items listed. Techelet, that's the it's the uh, uh, like a sky blue type of wool, and there's argaman which is purple wool, vetolat shani which is scarlet wool. So he says all these are wools. It's just different colors. Therefore, perhaps that's what. Rashi meant, but there's only 13 because these two are not, these three are not as counted as one. So that leaves us with 13. That's one opinion. Another opinion, he says like this. Towards the end, we have Abne Shoham ve Abne Miluim. These were precious stones that were used for the garments of the Kohen Gadol. As it says, la efod velahoshen, and these precious stones were not contributed by the bnei Israel themselves. Here, there's two opinions how these uh, precious stones came about. According to Rashi, what happened here was that the nisiim, when they were approached to contribute for the construction of the mishkan. They said, you know, uh, let uh, don't worry about us. Let the Bnei Israel give, and then whatever is left out, we'll fill in the rest. If the Mishkan costs fifty million dollars to build, and they want, and they're only getting thirty million dollars, we'll give the other twenty. Yeah, it's also an admirable thing. But what happened was, the Bnei Israel gave more than was necessary. They brought in more material that was required for the construction. So now the uh, leaders in Isaim were left in the cold. They can't contribute for the construction. Well, they say, okay, in that case, we're going to bring, we're going to contribute uh, the precious stones that are going to be used for the garments of the Kohen Gadol. These were very expensive, actually very expensive items. Still, uh, Rashi points out, this was considered as an act of negligence. They shouldn't have waited until the end. They should have come up straight and tried to help out from the very beginning. And because they did so, a yud was left out. It says, After the scene, after the, uh, the scene over there, there's no yud. It says the yud was dropped. And that's why it was dropped because it was somewhat an act of negligence of them not to come up front and contribute immediately. Or there is another shot that the uh, Nesi'im, the word Nesi'im, as Yonatan in Oziel says, and we have this in various different Pesukim uh, uh, in, the, in uh, the Tanakh, that Nesi'im means clouds. Like uh, 
מעלה נשיאים ורקים למטר עשה, that we read this uh, psalm, this תהילים on Shabbat uh, and Shachrit. So נשיאים over there means what? means the clouds. So what happened here is that the precious stones were not given by anyone. Actually, they came in on the clouds, riding on the clouds, and they came straight to them. It was a nest. It was a miracle. The miracle was that HaKadosh Baruch Hu provided for the precious stones. So, therefore, Siftei HaChamim says, these two that were not contributed by the Bnei Israel, either they, they came as an act of negligence by the leaders or because they came in uh, uh, as a miracle, these two were not counted in as part of the 15, and therefore we're left with 13 as Rashi Shalom says. Another opinion is the following. Listen carefully. There were two items there that were not contributed directly by the Bnei Israel either. The Tachash. Tachash was a creature that was created for the purpose of the construction of the Mishkan only. It never existed before. And it never existed after. It was only special for the Mishkan. And it was Akadush Baruch who created just for that purpose. Nobody brought that. And the Atsei Shittim. What is Atsei Shittim? These are acacia, acacia wood. Acacia wood, which is a special kind of wood that was used for the beams to hold the Mishkan. Where did it come from? Did, who brought these things? What was the, the, the source, the origin of these? And Rashi tells us later on when it says, et Normally, when HaKadosh Baruch Hu tells Moshe Rabbin to do something, he just tells him, Ve'asita menorah. Not ha-menorah, menorah. Ve'asita aron. Not Ha'aron, Ve'asita Shulhan, all is just without the hay. But here it says, Ve'asita et Hakerashim, the beams. In other words, those that we already know of and which ones. It turns out the Midrash says that these beams were brought by Yaakov Avinu. Yaakov Avinu, when he came down to Mitzrayim, he brought these beams with him. It's Asay Shittim, he planted them in Egypt. And he instructed the Bnei Israel that when they would come, they go back to Eretz Israel, then they should take these Atzei Shittim with them in order for the building of the Mishkan. So therefore, these two items, the Tachash, which was provided by Hashem, and the Atzei Shittim, which was provided by Yaakov Avinu, as far as the Sifteh HaKhamim is concerned, perhaps these are the two that are not counted. And we're left again with 13. Well, there is another opinion. This is a fourth opinion. And this has to do with the Shemen Lamaor. Upsamim, the Shemen HaMishhav, Eliktore Tasamim. The Shemen, the oil, was used as a fuel in order to light the menorah. The oil was not used per se directly in the construction of any vessel 
or any uh, uh, any structure of the Mishkan. It was only used as a fuel. And the Ketoret, which is the incense, the, the this incense was only also used as some kind of a fuel that they put on the altar, the golden altar, in order to give a, a beautiful aroma. So again, these two being that they were not used directly for the purpose of the construction of the Mishkan, that's why perhaps these two are not counted. And now again, we're left with 13 as Rashi Anav Shalom says. Now, I would like to look at these items from a different perspective. If, from the perspective of the order that they were listed, and the order, if you look at it carefully, you will see you have Zahav, gold, which is expensive. Then you have silver, which is less value. And then you have Nechoshet, uh, uh, which copper, even less. And then the wool, which is even less. So it looks like the, these items were listed in the order of descending value. The higher value first, the lesser value comes after. That's fine. Except, uh-uh, what happened? Abnei Shoham and Abnei Miluim. Ah, we have a problem here. Abnei Shoham, these are very precious stones. These were extremely expensive. Much more expensive than the gold. So according to this, the, the, this premise that the order of descending value, this should have been first. Abne Shoham, Abne Miluim, and then Zahavakesev and Choshet and the rest of them. But it's not that way. Well, the Orachayim Akadosh here gives us two answers. One answer is what we mentioned before. The Abne Shoham, the Abne Miluim, <laughs> were given by the Nisi'im. Being that they were given by the leaders, but at the end, there was an act of negligence over here, as we mentioned before. Being that they came at, all the way at the end, so these, even though they, uh, they, they, they are a great value, but because there's some act of negligence involved in here, that's why they were left all the way at the end. Or, as also we said before, these precious stones perhaps came in straight from the, from the clouds, and being that they came as a miracle and not as a contribution, therefore they were left all the way at the end. All right, that's fine. Okay, but still, now we go back to our original question. The same question. Okay, whether it is an act of negligence or whether it is a, a, a miracle, still, uh, they were more expensive. They have a greater value. Then they should have been put first, regardless. How come they were not? Well, the answer is Rabotai. It depends how we interpret the word value. Is it purely monetary value? Or is it how much effort was done to acquire these things and give them? 
how much love, how much eagerness, how much desire, how much interest was spent on the part of the donors. You see, sometimes a small donation of a poor has more value to Hashem than a much bigger donation of the rich. Hashem ro'el levav. A person looks and sees only what he sees with his eye. But HaKadosh Baruch Hu looks at the heart. He sees how, a, how much a person, how hard, what's the hardship of that person to give. And as we say, Lefum sa'ara agra. The more tsar, the more pain and a burden it is for a person to give something, the more reward he gets. At this point, I'd like to bring an illustration from a Midrash. The Midrash speaks about King Agrifas, Agrifas Amelech. In English, they call it King Agrippa. He was a grandson of Hurdus, but we call in English, he wrote the great. Nothing great about him. He was a Rasha. But one good thing he did in his lifetime he rebuilt the Beta Migdash, the second Beta Migdash, into a really beautiful, uh, sumptuous building. A building that people from far used to come just to see and appreciate the beauty of that building. King Agrippa, one day, as the Midrash says, he came over to the Kohen Gadol and the Beit HaMikdash, he says to him, Today, the Beit HaMikdash is closed. No one can bring anything. Why? Well, I'm bringing 1,000 olot. 1,000 sacrifices as a olah for Hashem. 1,000? Hey, that's a lot. So, don't accept anything. You're going to be kept busy all day long. Fine. Then what happened is, in the middle of the day, a poor man comes, and he has two turtle doves. And he brings these to the, one of the Kohanim. He says, I would like you, please, to take these as a korban from me, korban daba from me. The Kohan says, I'm sorry, I cannot accept it. When you can accept it, please, you have to accept it. Why? Look, every day I go to the field and I try to catch four doves. Two of them I use for my parnasa. The other two I bring to the Beit HaMikdash. And with the zechut that I bring these two, the next day HaKadosh Baruch Hu helps me and I always find the four. If you don't take these two, you, you're going to cut it, my parnasah. Who knows what's going to happen tomorrow? So the Kohen accepted it. He had no choice. The man was appealing to his conscience. He had to accept it. He did. That same night, King Agrippa had a dream. And he was told in the dream that the two doves that that poor man brought to the Beit HaMikdash were worth to Hashem more than the entire 1,000 
Oh Lord, 1,000 sacrifices that the king brought in. 1,000 sacrifices for a king, it's nothing. But the two doves that brought in with this poor man, with love, with pure intent, that Hashem should give him Panasah, that was that had a greater value to Hashem. You know, very often in, we do things uh, by rote. You know, you know, by rote means that without really thinking what we're doing. Uh, we pray by rote many times. Many people pray. Why not? They just read the words and uh, uh, enunciate the words uh, without really understanding the significance of the prayer. I'm not saying that each Jew must understand every single word that he's saying in the prayer. The kavanah, at least must, it must be that the person that, that, that is praying, at least should know that he's in front of Hashem, that he's praying to Hashem. If he can understand the words, even better. But as a minimum, he should understand the first paragraph, for example, of the Amidah, and have some kavana that he is praying. But many times we pray by rote. But, it, but it, you see, one time, uh, uh, one person asked, <coughs> asked me, Rabbi, why do we have to make these repetitions of the prayers every single day? I prayed yesterday, that should be enough. I said to him, did you have breakfast yesterday? He said, yeah. So why are you having breakfast today? You had it yesterday. Is not enough? So he understood. Just like every day, we need nourishment for the body, for the goof. Every day, we need nourishment for the soul, for the neshama. You have to keep your body healthy. And we have to keep our neshama also healthy. So this is important. Sometimes we give tzedakah and it looks like someone is yanking the money out of us. Right? But sometimes we do chesed, you know, but you know, to show to the others, hey, we're doing something great. This doesn't mean that the mitzvah is not done. Once a person gives tzedakah, he is fulfilling the mitzvah, regardless. You know, as we said at the beginning, HaKadosh Baruch Hu tells the Bnei Yisrael, What does Li mean? You know, bring the, this contribution, Li, to me. What does that mean? Rashi says, Lishmi, for my sake. What does that mean, for my sake? Why? Is, is this always different? Well, it turns out that when he gives tzedakah to a poor man, whether it is for the sake of the poor man or whatever, it, 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 it doesn't matter as long as the poor man has some benefit from it. The, no matter what, he's going to be using this for his, own, uh, for his own meals or whatever. He's benefiting from it. But when he gives something to the Mishkan, which is for Agadosh Baruch Hu, here, whatever. Hashem is not benefiting from this. The whole world belongs to Hashem. Everything belongs to the Borei Olam. 
So that's why I said, in this particular case, Lishmi has to be to my sake. But in general, we do fulfill the mitzvah. But also, the way we fulfill it, the behavior that we display is very important. So it, this, this is teaching us that the way we fulfill the mitzvah and the behavior we display in fulfilling the mitzvah is just as significant as the fulfillment of the mitzvah itself. Therefore, we, in the future, Rabotai, we should really heed this. We should be more careful. Of course, by doing chesed, we're, we're really fulfilling a great mitzvah, or by giving tzedakah, or by giving a nedavot to the synagogue, we are, regardless, we're still doing a mitzvah. But it is a lot better if we would do it with our heart, if we do it with a smile. That goes a long way, and Hashem looks at that and appreciates it. So, Rabotai, I just want to remind you again that if you can help to perpetuate this beautiful and great religious station, please do so. Whenever you can, try to help this station. At the same time, I want to bring up the fact that we do have a beautiful and uh, uh, social hall in our synagogue. If you have any simha, please come and look us up. Also, it would pay for anyone just to come and look at the breathtaking Arona Kodesh that we have. Unbelievable. Come take a look. It'll be worthwhile to make a trip just to see that. Tiskula Miswot Rabotai and Shavua Tov to all of you.